Good evening, Sport Zodians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Aglialoro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. We're recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. And, of course, we are rebroadcast and redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So we thank you for joining us no matter how you join us, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. Always thank you guys for listening to us. And we got a good show for you tonight. We will be joined by Dave Hastings. And Eric Pfeiffer, probably Larry Schmelrose, too. I would say Schmelrose is going to be here as well. We got a lot to talk about tonight. We got the basketball playoffs in full swing. Knicks are up three games to one over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, believe they're playing tonight. Maybe they're playing tomorrow. Um, we'll get into that with Dave. And I, they're playing tomorrow. And obviously, a uh, couple big incidents, I'd say, late last week. Draymond Green stomping, quote-unquote, stomping on somebody. We'll talk about that. And then Joel, Joel Embiid straight up with a nut shot on a guy because he tried to step over him. So we'll get into that. We got hockey playoffs to talk about tonight as well. Um, Devils and Rangers are currently tied at two games apiece, heading into game five tomorrow night in, um, in the Garden. So we'll get into that with Mr. Schmelrose. Obviously, the big football news. We got the draft coming up starting Thursday is day one. That is the first round. And lo and behold, the week of the draft, Aaron Rodgers is officially a New York Jet. It only took about a month of month plus of speculation to get it done. But after all that, Aaron Rodgers... Is a is a jet. The trade package was Aaron Rodgers, along with the 15th pick in this year's draft and a fifth round pick in this year's draft going to the Jets. The Jets give up the 13th overall pick in this year's draft. They do give up one of their two second round picks and they give up a sixth round pick this year. In addition to a second round pick next year which will become a first-round pick next year if Aaron Rodgers plays in 65% of the team snaps. And, you know, it's it's interesting because you heard Fleece get thrown around a lot uh, when it happened on Monday. And I got to be honest, my initial, indicate, my initial thoughts on the trade where I thought the Jets came out very well, you knew they were going to have to give up at least one first and one second. I For a couple of weeks, it sounded like it was just a matter of which year was going to be the first and which year was going to be the second. The fact that they got out of really having to do more by moving down two spots in the first round, still give up a second this year, still give up what is left. I'm just going to say it's going to be a first round pick next year. If the only criteria is for Aaron Rodgers to play 65% of the team snaps, uh, I, I got to be honest, folks. I'm not saying they're going to be good or anything, but he's going to play. Like, you know, Cousin David, we're in the group chat, and Cousin David said something to the effect of, 
oh, by week eight, Zach Wilson will be the starting QB. No, he's not. No, he's not. Zach Wilson is likely never going to get a start in the NFL again. And at the very least, if he's going to, if the Jets are going to think about it, it's going to be if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt or it might be the year after next uh, if Aaron Rodgers does, in fact, retire after one season. So we have that, and we'll get into that more when Dave and Fife come on the show. While we wait, Dave should be here in a matter of minutes here. We'll talk some Mets baseball, because that's what we do when we open the show, waiting on the guys. So another interesting week in Metland. Um, uh, Miraculously, the Mets are currently... 14 and 9 heading into tonight's game, which is currently in progress against the Washington Nationals. They are down two to nothing in the top of the fifth inning. Nationals, of course, another one of the dregs of Major League Baseball right now while they are rebuilding. I'm sure, in a couple of years, they'll be a righteous pain in the ass again. But right now, they're at the bottom, and the Mets are down two to nothing. Um, the week was dominated. By Max Scherzer getting thrown out of a game either Wednesday or Thursday last week. I want to say it was Wednesday. Um, Getting thrown out of the game because the umpires felt his, uh, it was Wednesday, felt his hand and his glove were way stickier than the normal pitcher's hand. And he has been suspended for 10 games. And here's here's for me, and I'm sure I would wager we're bringing this up later. So I don't necessarily this would be the thing we bring up later. Um, we've seen so much happen in baseball, sports in general, but baseball in particular, when it comes to steroids and sticky stuff and all this stuff, nobody is given the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not saying they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Because I know a number of years ago, Dave brought up, um, he met, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said, um, if baseball really wants to clean up their act, there should be no more innocent bystanders. Everyone either is participating in what is happening, knowing it's happening, and not participating yourself, knowing it's happening, and doing nothing. It was something to that effect. And that's the stigma that baseball has because of the last 20 years with the steroids and now the sticky stuff over the last three years, I'd say. Was Scherzer using something he he wasn't supposed to, or was he just using what the umpires um, and Major League Baseball give the pitchers to use? The fact that he washed his hands off with alcohol I just want to know if they make other people do that. And if they don't make other people do that, why did Max Scherzer feel he needed to do that? I mean, that's, that's the question I have there. Cause I think it's been proven at this point by people. And I, if I'm basing proof on the internet, I, I, you know, take it for what you will, but I'm pretty sure I've seen, you know, people going through the motions and everything with the alcohol and what it does to the hand. And I don't I don't necessarily know if that helped. I definitely does not appear that it helped anything. But if they 
don't make other people do that because I've never heard of anybody doing that before. Scherzer said he did that in the press conference. Why did he do that if nobody's ever done that? That's 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 the big question that comes out of there. But how that relates to the Mets, okay. So we knew going into this season that the pitching staff was old, and we knew that the likelihood of injuries was going to be high. But I don't. I, if you had on your fucking 2023 Major League Baseball season bingo card, everybody in the Mets rotation, with the exception of Kodai Senga, still standing after three weeks. If you had that on your bingo card, you you, you need to bet, play some bets in Vegas because you're doing something there. Um. Yeah, it's uh, Verlander is going to make a rehab start before he rejoins the team in the first week of May, it sounds like. Scherzer, like I said, serving the 10-game suspension. Uh, I believe he's supposed to be coming back Sunday um, as we do this um, over the weekend. Carrasco went down at some point over the last couple weeks. Uh, he, He was... He's always been a mixed bag. Last year, he controlled himself pretty good. He has not been controlled at all this season. He's been garbage. Um, and, and he's hurt. We don't know how long he's out. And Quintana, we, we put him on a milk cart. You may never see him again, folks. We said uh, b- before the season started, he was down likely till July, August, because he's a Met, probably until he collects his retirement money. And never plays again. Like it, well, Jed Larry did play again, but still, um, nobody knew he, he was alive uh, when he did it, because uh, he played in Oakland. So, all, all bottom line is, four of the five starters going into this season are already on the shelf. Kodai Singh is the only man left standing. He's um, he's pitching uh, he's pitching tomorrow against the Washington Nationals. Um, we have been going with rotation. It's not even really rotation at this point. David Peterson and Tyler McGill were the two guys who you knew were going to be next men up if anything happened in rotation. They're both not very good. We've known this. And the thing about both of them is at this point, we've seen Peterson for about three years. He can be a spot starter. You need someone in a pinch. Having to rely on him every fifth day not not an not a solution that you 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 want to see. Tyler McGill has potential as well, and right now he's also not someone who should be pitching on a once every fifth day basis. They got that Joey Lucchese returns after a year and a half hiatus uh, after Tommy John surgery, throws seven dazzling innings as the first Mets starter this season to pitch seven full innings. Um, And if you got lightning in a bottle with him and Lucchese can help, you know, do some things. All right. That gives you a nice weapon going forward there. If that lasts. And obviously when you have a group of hitters who hasn't seen uh, a pitcher in a year and a half, and there's no game film on him, recent game film on him, it's nice, but I've said this before on the show when it comes to, pitchers and Lucas is not a young pitcher anymore, but he hasn't pitched in a year and a half. So it's kind of the same thing. If, if you're worth your salt and you come back and you could go around the league at least once 
and be okay. But I, I, after the league gets game tape on you, uh, if you're still doing the same stuff to the same results, then you got some talent. Anyway, we'll go back to that one there because we welcome in tonight. Dave Hastings is with us tonight. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. We're talking a little baseball before you came on, but we'll save it. Well, I'll bring, I, I, did you hear, uh, I'm curious your reaction. Did you hear the big news uh, that happened out of a Met game last Wednesday? Probably not. Uh, Max Scherzer getting thrown out because the umpire said he had too much sticky stuff on his hand. Uh, nope. Did not hear about that. Okay. All right. We'll move on. Because we'll talk a little basketball now. <laughs> so much for that. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll talk some basketball now because I've been dying to bring this up since I saw it. This also happened about a week ago. Obviously, we're in the playoffs. Um, Nets have been eliminated already. 76ers mowed through them like we all kind of knew they would. Everybody else is basically, I believe there's only one series where the teams are tied to 2-2. That's the Lakers-Kings series. Everybody else is 3-1 in one direction, um, including the Knicks are up 3-1 over the Cavaliers. But to go to that um, Warriors-Kings series, obviously there were a couple of uh, big questionable hits in a couple of uh, postseason games last week. The first one was Draymond Green quote-unquote, stomping on Sabonis of the Kings. And I'm dying to hear your reaction on this because I, I got what may or may not be considered a hot take. I mean, it's kind of like Draymond Green being Draymond Green. Uh, mm. He it off like he didn't do anything wrong, but you can blatantly see stomps on the guy's chest. Um He's been moved to the bench and taken out of the starting lineup, but he's still getting his minutes. Um, but overall, I was kind of surprised that he didn't receive much of a punishment um, for that. That was that was very surprising to me, considering I felt like it looked like a blatant stomp on the chest. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you a little bit there because I got to be honest. I feel like if that was anybody else, there wouldn't have been a suspension. And that suspension only happened because it's Draymond Green and he's done shit like that before. This one, I would have been inclined to give him a free pass. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the dude's a bonus. Whether this part was dirty or not, I don't know. He grabs one of Green's legs. And now Draymond, in my opinion, was losing his balance. When he grabbed the leg, so he tripped him. He's losing his balance. His foot's got to go somewhere. I don't necessarily know that he intended for that to go in his stomach. And to say it was a stomp, like I had to watch that three times because I'm just like, okay, he had to put his foot down. To me, stomp kind of implies a, a viciousness that I, I just didn't see on that one. Maybe I'm alone. Yeah, I I, uh, I gotta say, I mean, maybe it's just because it is Draymond Green. Um, mm. I definitely, definitely think that he. Uh, <laughs> I think he intentionally stomped on his on his chest. I don't. I I mean, to me that 
that it wasn't as blatant as Indomitian Sue on what Aaron Rodgers, I think it was, but I, uh, I, I'm going to be honest. Just did Rodgers grab his leg and cause him to make a reasonable person think that he lost his balance? No, that's why I would say it wasn't as blatant as uh, Indomitian Sue doing it, but. I still think I still think he meant to do it. I don't think he regrets doing it and him being him. It it's right up his alley for the type of player he's been, but I've said it about Draymond Green, I've said it about Pat Beverly. There are guys in this league that you hate playing against, but you would not hate having them on your team. Mm. I feel like Draymond Green's one of those guys as well. Yeah. Well, I, we're gonna I, we're gonna agree to disagree on that one. There, I'm I'm gonna stick with what I'm saying there because I I saw that it was just like of all the other things we've seen Draymond uh, do, this is the only one where I where I feel like there's a little bit of a pause on that, and, uh, at least for me. But here's something we can both agree on. There was nothing that was left to be interpreted with that nut shot that Joel Embiid hit on. Um, Nick Nick Claxton the other day. That one, holy shit! Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I understand it's the playoffs; they get a little chippy, but it, it, I mean, hitting a man in the nuts just not cool. <laughs> There's no other way to go about it. Yeah, but, it brings up an interesting thing because, okay, Claxton goes to hit the step over. Over Embiid, and that's what led to the nut shot, the very blatant nut shot. Which you know, you could have kicked the guy in the leg or something. You, you didn't necessarily need to do that. Doc Rivers coming out the other day saying, and I, I I'm gonna paraphrase, but it was basically like you're suspending the guy who reacted, you're not suspending uh, the offender. What type of precedent is this gonna set for the stars of the league? It was something to that effect. Did you see these comments at all? Because I I, I'm, I was curious to know what you thought of them. Well, yeah. And I mean, look, it's one thing in the game, right? It's usually the guy mm-hmm. that reacts, right? That's usually mm-hmm. the guy that, that is the one that gets the penalty or the foul or, you know, ejected. But with the amount of replay and, and shit that you have access to, like, there's no reason that, you know, anybody who's involved should not suffer the consequences of, of their actions in a game. And that 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 to me is something that you'll never be able to explain that away. Like I'll never understand the justification for that. Just because the, the foul or penalty was called on that one guy, the other person should suffer consequences as well. Like it's a, it's a it's a sport. It's a competition. It's not a fucking fight. Mm. No, I agree with that. And if you're if you're doing like what Doc was kind of implying there, the idea that, you know, um, uh, teams could use certain players to kind of target the superstars to get them to do something regrettable so they get thrown out, that that just kind of creates a whole thing. So, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not with that. But we'll go through the rest of the, the playoffs very quickly here. Starting with the Bucks, we didn't really talk about this last week. That um, I think we might have mentioned it, but we definitely didn't stress it. Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, being out. I believe he was coming back for last night's game. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Was that last night or tonight's game or tomorrow night's game? No, that was last night's game. He dropped the triple double. There we go. 
All right. I knew I was right. I knew he came back last night. But yeah, as a result, he drops the triple double. Heat still wind up winning. Uh, they won 119 to 114. So the Heat are up three games to one over the Bucks. What do you? I, the next game is in Milwaukee, so I think they definitely win that one. And I think they can come back from three to one with a healthy Giannis. What do you think, though? You think they got a shot? Jimmy Butler has been playing out of his mind. Well, I mean, what Jimmy Butler did last night was just insane. I mean, a guy dropped 56 points. They were Miami was down 14, and he just basically wouldn't let them lose. Mm. Uh, and, like, to think about that and to realize, like, what type of effort he put in for the, for his team – to carry them to a win was just – it was one of the best playoff performances that you'll ever see. And I apparently it was the greatest individual performance by any player that's ever worn a Miami Heat jersey. Um, so that, those are some names right there, right? You got Alonzo Mourning, Hardaway, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Shaquille O'Neal, like – there's a lot of good players that played in Miami and he had the best performance that any Miami player has ever had. So, I mean, that speaks for itself right there, but to just think that he was able to put on that type of performance, lead them back from being down 14, that's just beyond impressive in my book. And I love Jimmy Butler. And and last night when they went up three, one, all I kept thinking was, I remember just a couple of weeks ago when Chicago was up five points with three minutes left and almost eliminated Miami from even making the playoffs. I mean, being a Met fan, you know, I know what that feels like. So I get you there. That sucks. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, what he did was quite impressive. I mean, do, does Milwaukee have enough talent to come back? Yes, but Giannis is still, he's healthy, but he's not 100%. He's still dealing with the back issue. Um, and Miami could go to Milwaukee and, and put this series away. They could, you know, lose and get game six back in Miami and put it away then. And, and I mean, even if it goes to a game seven, you're still putting Milwaukee in a spot where they got to win three in a row. Um, so no matter how you cut it, Miami's in a great spot. And, you know, to lose this series would be so disappointing for them. Um, and to have that happen, that that's that would be devastating. Um, for a Milwaukee team that was the clear-cut best team in the East all year long, uh, to get eliminated by the eighth seed and a, a Miami team that really doesn't have that much talent on it, um, it would be a, a hell of a, a disappointing season for them as well. So... Uh, no matter how you cut it, whoever loses this series is going to walk away with their head held very low um, and their front office uh, and, you know, general manager and all of them are going to have a lot of questions to answer and and things to try and figure out to, uh, you know, avoid having it happen again next year. Mm. I agree with that. It'll be interesting to see if the Bucks are able to push this to seven games. Because I, I generally feel if you come back from three to one, you win those two games, the momentum is entirely on you for that game seven. To have it in Milwaukee, that'd be interesting. They got to they gotta get past the next two games first, though. So we'll, we'll just see what happens on that one. And um, 
I don't really think there's too much to say about the 76ers and Nets series because I'd say that went about the way we thought that was going to go, right? Oh, yeah. There, there's nothing that needs to be said about that series. It went how it should have went and how it, we expected it to go. And, you know, now Philly sits and waits, right? Yeah. Uh, time for Embiid. To, you know, they, they still, even with the wait, there's still no guarantee that Embiid's ready to play uh, game one uh, of the next round. Uh, he's dealing with some knee issues. So that 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 could be detrimental for that team. Um, and make things really interesting for them. Um, but definitely uh, definitely was an expected easy walk in the park series for them. Mm-hmm. And Boston's up three to one over Atlanta. Um, I, I, I feel like we've talked about Trey Young at some point here. What the hell happened to Trey Young? Because it was like not even two years ago, he has the big series against the Knicks. He breaks out. You think this is going to be like the next Reggie Miller type star because he was able to utterly destroy the Knicks in their building. And we've gone through a couple head coaches here. We've gone through a few trades and yeah, the Hawks are about to go out with a whimper. Uh, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's really on Trey young. I mean, Trey young's playing good basketball. You look at his stats through the, through this round so far. It's not like he's shit in the bed. It's just he's getting no help from anybody. And there's not a, there's just not a lot of talent uh, on that team. And and it's one of the, you know, it's one of those downfalls, right, uh, of being a team that is good enough to make the playoffs but not good enough to win it all. And, and you know, getting late picks in the draft and all that. And that's really kind of – what that team is at. He's good enough and there's enough talent on that team to make him a playoff team. I mean, since he's been there, they've basically made the playoffs every year. Statistically, he puts up numbers, but they just don't have enough to be considered one of the best teams, you know, in the East and really make a push for the finals. And at the same time too, right? You say to yourself, well, okay, if that's the case, like if you're a superstar or, you know, one of those top tier players, you should be able to lead your team to, to something. But, you know, he's an undersized point guard. So there's only so much he's going to be able to do without somebody else there to help carry the load. Mm. That is true. From from what I had heard, I'm not going to pretend I was paying a lot of attention to Hawk games this year. Murray in the backcourt, uh, from what I heard, he was he was a good addition for them. But I, I just, I, I, I don't want to say, I don't remember exactly what this was, but I remember hearing something to the effect of Murray couldn't exactly do everything he wanted to do because they're both kind of on ball guys and Young didn't want to play without the ball or something like that. I don't know if you've heard anything like that. Not something I can remember off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised for reports like that. Mm. All right, we'll keep we'll keep going here. Knicks are up three to one, with you know Randall's played pretty good, playing through everything. Um, I don't know if they have enough to be able to go into Cleveland and wrap it up there, but I, I don't see this series going to seven games. I think if they don't win it in Game Five, they're gonna win this in Game Six. Yeah, they they just I mean honestly. Randall has Randall's had one good game this whole series. 
Uh, oh, yeah. now that I think about it, didn't I hear they benched him at some point during the last he, game? He It was a, like, four-point game going into the fourth quarter. He didn't play a single minute. Yeah. Um, Brun- Brunson is carrying this team. R.J. Barrett's really stepped up uh, the last couple games. Um, and, and the Knicks just look like the better team and the hungrier team. Um, I do agree with you. They may not be able to wrap it up in Cleveland. Um, you know, the last game, uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell really did not play well. I, I think he went like 0 for 9 in the fourth quarter. Um, he had a couple shots that just went in and out and, and just couldn't get them to fall through. Um, so you got to expect a better game from him. And that offense in Cleveland really kind of goes how he goes. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up back in Madison Square Garden uh, for a game six, but I would agree. I don't think it gets to a game seven. Uh, the Knicks really do just – they look like the better and hungrier team. Um, and I, I know you've heard me say this before, basketball is better when the Knicks are relevant. Mm. Yeah, the whole, it's a better product when the Knicks are relevant, and – you should be seeing them move into the second round, which will just make every Nick fan as happy as could be because let's oh, be honest, I... this wasn't a season that a lot of people thought was going to get overly, you know, be overly impressive. And something just dawned on me here because if I'm not mistaken, the winner of the four and five seed still takes on the winner uh, uh, between the one and the eight seed. So everything you just said about Nick fans being happy, yeah, nobody thought you know this could happen early in the season, and now we have the possibility of ending the season, going to the second round to take on the Miami Heat. And which, talk about yeah. Which, oh, go ahead. Another team the Knicks could beat. Now that part's awesome in and of itself, but just going back to the '90s rivalries. Yes. Yeah, I do. yes. Yeah. That that is a whole that's good. that that will bring back a lot of memories. I mean, come on, we were, we all remember Allen Houston and his little roll in to win the one game in the play. I mean, that 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 series was something special or that rivalry was something special and anytime you can bring back uh, my memories of 90s basketball, I'm going to be a pretty happy camper. I don't know if they could recreate because I don't see Tom Thibodeau grabbing like Udonis Haslam's leg or something or or God, I'm blanking on their big man right now. Just name a name a seven footer that Miami has. I don't see. No, no, no. Currently, currently. Oh, uh, about uh, uh, how do you say this? Is it Bam? Bam Majera is still there. I think that I think that's his name. Adebayo, no, Bam Margera is the guy from Jackass. Bam, Bam Adebayo. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Bam Margera is the guy from Back at Jackass. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that. And not to mention, I'll be honest with you, I bet you Tibbs could probably beat the ass about half the guys that play in the NBA. He Tibbs might be short and stocky, but he looks like a man that can carry his own. Oh, I wouldn't mind just seeing the series play out just like that. Thibodeau taking on Jimmy Butler. Just let the do them duke it out. Be just just as entertaining. Uh, Tibbs loves Jimmy Butler. He, he's the coach that brought, helped Jimmy Butler win most improved player in the league. 
that's why you know it wouldn't be dirty. It would be a good, clean contest. <laughs> yeah, you, you could end up seeing that matchup, and then all of a sudden you, you would be looking at the picks with, with the potential of actually playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's crazy. That's uh, nuts. Yeah, not something you would have said if you went back to uh, September. Mm. And it is cool. Like, we've talked about this before, maybe not in these words. The lack of parity in the NBA. Like, you look at the teams that win. I I, I don't remember the statistics, but I I feel like you don't see a lot of different teams in the NBA Finals. Last couple of years, like the Heat made it three years ago. I don't think anybody really expected the Celtics last season to make it to the finals. Suns getting in a couple of years ago, all that stuff. Um, it is nice to see that there's still an opening for a team to come out of the seven or eight seed, or in the Knicks case, the fifth seed, and make it to the make it to have a at least a shot to make it to the NBA Finals. So the fact that that does exist in the NBA, that's something we talked about for a long time, just wasn't there. Well, yeah, and what's crazy is the way things could unfold is you could be looking at a Celtics, uh, Celtics Knicks Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Celtics Knicks Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not saying this will happen, but can you imagine a world where the Knicks, out of the fifth seed, make the NBA Finals against the seventh seeded LeBron, uh, LeBron James led Los Angeles Lakers? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's not really something I, I could imagine, that's for sure. Yep. Nice to see. All right. We'll real quick. All right. Um, I know we didn't get to spend really too much time on the Western Conference here. Any thoughts on the Western Conference side of the playoffs? Well... Phoenix is taking advantage of the injuries that the Clippers are dealing with. No Paul George. Kawhi Leonard goes down. Um, and that that just has killed them. Phoenix's uh, firepower. So there's a good chance that Phoenix puts it away. But I will say Russell Westbrook has definitely put more respect on his name with how he's played. Um the, the he's just been playing out of his mind uh, with no no supporting cast. So I, I think he deserves some respect for what he's done and how he's played. Um, the Nuggets should wrap things up against Minnesota tonight. Uh, they're at home. That game tips at 9 o'clock. The Lakers won a, a wild game last night uh, that went to overtime. LeBron scored with like two seconds left. Um Ever since that dude from uh, Memphis came out and talked shit about LeBron, uh, the Lakers basically never looked back. So, um, you know, nobody fears LeBron, I think, is kind of – you're basically asking to have your team lose. Um, so the, the, the new Deshaun Stevenson, apparently. Yeah, like, you, you got to just go out and play your game. Like, you, you don't <laughs> you don't need to say nonsense. Like, LeBron's the best player in the league. Everybody knows it. Like, move on. Um, so that series will probably, I mean, Memphis might win one more, but that should wrap up by game six. Um, and then you've got the Warriors Kings, which just sucks because that has been probably the best series so far. And De'Aaron Fox has been outplaying Steph Curry. Um, 
that, but he's got an injured uh, finger, I think, on his shooting hand. Um, I think he's got a broken finger on his shooting hand. I'm double-checking now. Um, but he actually told reporters today he's about 99 to 100% going to play. Uh, okay, no, it's not on his shooting hand, but he's got a fractured index finger on his left hand. Um, but, like, that kid has been literally outplaying Steph Curry. Um, they're averaging exactly the same amount of points per game. He's, he's averaging more assists, more rebounds per game. Um, and, and I hope he can play even if it's at 90%, uh, because that series could be a really fun one that could go seven games, um, and could be, you know, one that, you know, whether it be the Warriors or the Kings that win it a real memorable series, but the Kings, what they've done this year and the turnaround that they've made, like you just can't help but pull for them. You know, the Warriors have had an amazing run over the last like 10 years. Like it, it what the Kings might be able to pull off in that series if, if Fox can play and, and be even 90% of himself. Um, that really, really could uh, just be a great story. You know, talking about the Knicks being a great story, like they would definitely be the, um, the West Coast version of a great story. That's for sure. Mm. So. Yeah, I I am happy to see it for De'Aaron Fox because I was a fan of his when I was doing fantasy basketball. So nice to see him, you know, kind of come into his own a little bit there. I, I That would be a great story, like you said. Uh, but with that, we want to welcome him in tonight. And I think we'll start off. Eric Pfeiffer is with us tonight. Fife, how you doing? I'm, you know, I'm behind a guy who's doing about 25 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone, and every time he comes to an intersection, for no apparent reason, hits his brakes. So I could be better. <laughs> I, you know, I, I got to be honest. I, it sucks what you're going through, Fife, but I, I kind of dig when you come on when you're in traffic because this is like the second time you've done it with this, the, the horror stories of the people you're stuck behind. Like, I don't know where these people learn how to drive. Like, go to the DMV as first thing in the morning, turn in your driver's license, and take public transport. There you go. There you go. We've always been stuck behind these guys before. Is he using his turn signals? Nah, no, there's nowhere to turn. He's just an in-the-way person. Like, stop, as Bill Burr said, <laughs> stop making in-the-way people. Oh. Like, just move, pull over then. Like, Get out of my way. I obviously <laughs> want to go faster than 20 miles an hour. Like, get in the shoulder if you're scared to drive. I don't know if he's hammered or 95 years old. Whatever it is, this person should not be on the road. There isn't <laughs> such thing as making it dangerous by going. Mm. Okay. Oh, I think you're going through a. I think you're going through a dead zone, uh, Fife. Sorry, I'm just wondering where these people come from. Like, who makes these people? I I don't know. I, they're they're mass produced somewhere. Yeah, anybody that knows how to drive, wish they know. We are breaking. Why? Why? Every time you get over thirty, you hit your brakes. Why? Sorry, guys. I don't mean to take over show with traffic things. I'm just very frustrated right now. And I, it's like I just want to get up next just to see what they look like. I just want to see what they look like. Probably <laughs> constipated. Oh, my the God. 
Dude, are you a George Carlin fan? That's a Carlin George, line. It is a George Carlin line. Yeah. Two comedians. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry. Oh, no, you can't get a George Carlin line by me, man. I'm a huge Carlin guy. That's awesome. Yeah, when I was in high school, me and my buddies used to drive around, uh, you know, back in the day, the tape cassettes uh, in the truck, in the vehicles. Um, mm. We used to drive around smoking weed, listening to George Carlin. Just laughing my heads off. One time, I was at a, uh, I was at the uh, inspection station. I remember when the inspection lines used to be like out of this world crazy because they did more than emissions here in new jersey now it's just emissions but it used to be all safety check and like you can literally sit in an inspection line for well over an hour to get your vehicle inspected like you had to take a day and set an entire day aside when you need to go to the inspection station so i'm in the line uh and uh me and my buddy my buddy went with me to keep me company while i'm sitting in this line for like well over an hour and i got this tape on and i'm just windows down like blaring it and I got like six cars around me. Everybody's like crying, laughing, listening to George Carlin. And this one lady who would these back then we didn't call them Karens, but I, you know, and no <laughs> offense to the to the cool Karens out there. She pulls up to me. She goes, "Excuse me, can you please turn that down?" And so I turned it down. And I said, "Huh?" And she goes, <laughs> "Can you please turn that down?" I said, "Yeah, I just did." And then I cranked it back up, <laughs> window up here. Anyway, oh, that's fantastic that's fantastic well hopefully you get away from that guy soon all I'm right away from i went left he went straight i could have went straight i chose to go. I, that's where like if he went left i was going straight i had two ways i'd go home so whichever way he went i was going the opposite that's how bad this guy was he altered my route of travel to my home there you go there you go all right i think we'll We'll move on now as you have there. So let's keep let's keep moving here. Um, well, Fife, seeing as how you're here, start off with a little football and then we'll get to some hockey where I'm sure Mr. Schmelrose will make an entrance here. But we obviously have the NFL draft on Thursday. And then Monday, we got the news that it's finally happened. The long wait is over. Aaron Rodgers is a New York Jet, along with the 15th pick of the first round, a fifth-round pick this year, and a second-round pick next year, which can turn into a first-round pick if he plays 65 or more percent of the team's snaps. Uh, go to the Jets. The Packers received the 13th pick in this year's draft, the second-round pick of the New York Jets. I believe they had two of them. It's the earlier of the two. Um, a sixth round pick this year. Um, wait a minute. I think I confused myself, but anyway, that's the exchange that goes between the jets and the Packers. And my initial thoughts on this trade were that I thought the jets got off a little lucky. I thought the pick swap of the first round this year was nice of them, uh, to be able to do, cause you still get the ability to add something to the team around Aaron Rodgers. Giving up the second-round pick, not great, but, um, you know, the fact that you have two of them, you can still do something there. And you knew you were giving up something high next year regardless. So, you know, you would have liked to have kept the first-round pick if they don't win a Super Bowl. Oh, well, 
there's that. But I thought it was a pretty reasonable return. I'm curious to hear what you guys thought on it. Fife, why don't you go first? I mean, I think the Jets made out okay. I, honestly, if I look at this, uh, we're thinking of what Aaron Rodgers could do. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater with this offense, but they have weapons for him. Um, you know, I think that both teams made out okay. Um, I don't see it going really I, – I, if I had to lean in one team's favor, I'd say the Jets maybe did a little bit better because, honestly, I think this makes them a wild-card team. I think it's still the Bills' division to lose, um, but I think this makes them a wild-card team. Yeah, remember, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to play Bill Belichick twice, um, twice a year, right? And so, mm-hmm. But I think, this, I think this puts them in the wild-card talk, which means that even if he plays 65% of that, the snaps, which I think he will. I mean, obviously, um, unless he gets injured, which is always a possibility, but, um, and if he doesn't, it's even better for the jets because it's only a second round pick next year. But if he does play more than 65% of the snaps, you would have to, if I would assume that the jets are going to go ahead and at least make a wild card, which means that pick's not going to be why, you know, what's the top pick for a wild card. Yeah. Something like that. Like that. So, so I, I think they did okay. Like, I think, you know, a wild card playoff game is nice for the Jets because they've been, you know, abysmal for for how long. And, uh, you know, I think this saves Salah's job. I don't believe it's a Super Bowl or bust. I believe that they're hoping with Aaron Rodgers there, it's a, it's a two-year plan. And, I, you know, they're hoping he's going to play two more years, this year and next. And I, I don't think it's a terrible move. Because it goes away after next year, and everything just resets. So as long as Aaron Rodgers plays next two years, and the Jets make the wild card this year and are able to build on, you know, their roster afterwards, I think it's a good move for the Jets and the Packers. You know, I mean, they only moved up two spots in the first round. Um, you know, I was a little surprised to see them give away that number fifteen pick, but it's good on the Jets as they waited them out. Um, you know, I think that's what the waiting game was all about. I, I don't think anyone expected, you know, once it didn't go through immediately, I don't think anyone expected this trade to really pop off until a day or two before the draft, which is what happened. And, you know, I think the Jets did a good job of not rushing into it and, and giving the Packers everything that they wanted right out of the mm-hmm. gate. So, I mean, I think it works for both teams. I think, you know, at, at 13, the Packers are going to be able to get some value for, for love. And it's really going to be a question of is it can this kid play in this league? And that's really what's going to make or break for the Packers. But I think the Jets, they did pretty well. You know, I think when you get a, a four-time MVP player, a future Hall of Famer uh, in his own rights, like, and you only move two spots back in the first round of the year you did it, I think you did a pretty good job. I agree. Dave, what do you got? Oh, really quick. I'm curious if he ends up not only playing this year for the Jets and doesn't play for them next year, whether he retires or goes somewhere else, will you still feel the same way you feel now? No, I, I mean, I still don't think it's terrible, but it's obviously not as good. I think that it really makes out better for the Jets if it really is a two year plan, which I just don't see a guy going there, and especially if they have a, a decent season, you know, 
I just don't see him packing it in after this year. And I don't think he's going to go somewhere. I think he wanted to go to the Jets for a reason because they have weapons. And I think he's a smart enough football guy to understand that it takes at least, at the very least, a half a season to start building rapport with these guys. So if Aaron Rodgers is smart, which I think he is, and if he wants to win another Super Bowl with the Jets, I think he's smart enough to know that this needs to be a two-year plan. You need to build rapport. And then by the second season, you should be firing on all cylinders. Fair enough. Yeah. That... Or, he, or he totally screws him over and goes to the Minnesota Vikings next. You know, <laughs> just seems so expect. Like, it just seems like it's going to happen. Uh, right. His cousins, cousins has what? Well, this is his cousins last year in Minnesota, right? And, yep. And I think the whole point of what happens with Favre and then what's going to happen with Rodgers is at some point, for whatever reason, these guys get fed up with the Green Bay Packers management and they want to go beat them. Yeah, uh, my guess would be drafting my replacement years before I'm ready to be done playing. Right. Because, I mean, that that's literally what Green Bay did to both of them. But then again, they've had 31 straight years of Pro Bowl, MVE, Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks. So. Yeah, you can't. It's a business. Like you can't blame. Yeah, like if and I'm I, a, like, what only sucks for them is out of 31 years, they got two Super Bowls, and that's it. Right, right. But like to be honest, like it's a business, and you know, I don't think it's. I I honestly appreciate that model. Like I've I've voiced it before on the show. Like I'm against a guy getting drafted and then everybody thinks he's got to come out and be a world beater year one. Like I'm okay with drafting a guy to learn behind a hall of famer for a couple of years. Like that is fine with me. And I just, I understand that it's not fine with the hall of fame at the same time. Yeah. But like you said, it's a business and it's not a people pleasing business outside of the the fans. I'm not, you don't, you don't need to please the people you're paying. You, You need to please the people that are paying you. So uh, I'm with you there. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I kind of, I reiterate a lot of what, what, uh, I feels, um, I think the jets being able to only just swap first round picks because originally green Bay wanted the 13 because from my understanding, they were hoping to pair the 13 and 15 to move up, um, to get one of the, uh, either offensive linemen, wide receiver. Like there was a couple guys that they, like, I think they wanted to move up for, so getting that swap, I think, was a huge win for the Jets. Getting Aaron Rodgers and being able to put him with, you know, the talented talent, the talent they do have on that roster. If you think about it, they played with three different quarterbacks, and they still had the offensive rookie of the year. Uh, they had Brees Hall, who was on pace to probably be the offensive rookie of the year, um, with how his season started before he got hurt. Um, you know, they 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 bring in. Um, Lazard, like, so you got somebody that Rodgers is already comfortable with. And then you got the offensive coordinator. So Rodgers really doesn't need to learn the offense. He, and like Fife mentioned, he just needs to learn the guys he's executing that offense with. He knows the playbook, right? He knows the the cadences. He knows the, the, the names of the plays. So that's going to be an easy transition for him. So I think it's just it, – if they play I, – I think they can compete for the AFC East. But a lot of, you know, like you mentioned, it's Buffalo's division to lose. But let's not forget, the Dolphins, when Tua played, were, I think, 8-1. and one. Something so like that. You have a healthy Tua, 
there's no reason to think the Jets could finish third in their division. Um, so they like it, it's it, it's not definitely second in their division is definitely not handed to them, but. I think a 10, 11 win season and, and a wild card spot is, is if everybody's healthy, because that's the key, right? Rogers can stay healthy. Their, their, their skill players can stay healthy, but you get a couple of big injuries on the O line. That means jet, you know, those, those other players being healthy means absolutely freaking nothing. Um, you know, some of the key players on their defense, they lose one or two of those pieces. That defense is nowhere near the same. Um, what I did think w- that I saw was a really cool stat was that Aaron Rodgers, when the, uh, through his Green Bay career, when Aaron Rodgers' uh, defense gave up 20 points or less, he was 40 and 10. The Jets gave up 18.6 points per game last year. So if you're a Jets fan, like you're, you're basically talking winning four games for every one that you lose. I think they're going to take that in a 17 game season. I mean, that would, bit, like, that's just insanity to think about. And let's not forget, like, when Favre went there, uh, the Jets were not, they didn't have all these weapons that they're giving Aaron Rodgers. No, no, they did not. No, they were abysmal. I think Favre went there thinking that it was just going to be a quick stop and then he was going to go where he wanted to. I think that's exactly what it was. So yeah, I think the I think overall it works for both teams. Green Bay moves up a couple spots. Uh, a lot of different areas you can go for that team. Jordan Love gets to step in, play with how young that receiving core is. If they really can, if Jordan Love is a good quarterback and he gets to grow and and mesh and and work with those young wide receivers, like they can grow up together and kind of give you that. Um, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers experience, right? Like that's what you're hoping for if you're Green Bay right now. Yeah, and like you guys said, they got a decent amount of weapons to do it. I'm going to be interested to see if that defense holds up for the whole season because I, I, and maybe this is just because I listen to Carton Roberts. I think the idea that this puts the Jets – as the team to beat in the AFC, forget the AFC East. People actually think this makes them the team to beat in the AFC. That part's ridiculous. But the fact that they are able to able to keep their first round pick this year to put something else on the table with what they're already bringing to it. You guys mentioned Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and on defense, they got Sauce Gardner, who I think was also defensive player of the year on the defensive side of the ball there. Um, they have a decent amount. It's going to be very interesting to see if this works out, though. So there's that. Um, I'm sorry, but really quick, because the last thing I'll say, I, like, Sauce Gardner won Defensive Rookie of the Year. But, Mike, for oh. me, as Cowboy fans, I had a brief moment where I was like, holy crap, Dallas wouldn't, does not have to play Aaron Rodgers again. And then I was reminded that the Jets are traveling to Dallas this year. So Dallas will get to see him in Arlington. Yeah. Of course they do. Well, just, of, course, of course they do. Why wouldn't they? Go ahead. And, and just two more quick points about uh, one, the AFC East, and the other, the state of the Packers, is – with the AFC East, we got to remember, we, we do, it's easy for us to sit here and say, like, I, I agree with what Dave said. Like, the, the Dolphins, they can turn some heads. Like, there's nothing here saying that 
the Bills are going to definitely win the AFC East, you know, but, and, and we can't sleep on the Patriots because you just never know what Bills are going to do. But you got to remember that the defense for Buffalo is not getting any younger. And they did lose, I believe, their star middle linebacker, who I believed was one of the better middle linebackers in the league. Um, so there's nothing here saying that Buffalo is guaranteed to win that division or even take second. It kind of opens the door a little bit for the Jets there. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to say about the Packers is is when we had that transition from Favre to Rodgers, Rodgers hadn't played. Um, we didn't really have a sample size. We had the hype that he had coming out of college, and, and everybody talked about him a lot. There is a small sample size with Jordan Love, and I think at the very least we can say it is quite unimpressive. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I got to be honest, there was, I don't know. I always kind of look at it different with Rogers. Cause I remember when he came out and um, when Favre left and all that stuff, I did think there was going to be a seamless transition. Call me Nostradamus for the moment. I got that one, right? Wish I got more stuff, right? But anyway, um, I don't see any of that with Jordan Love right now. I don't know. Like you said, everything he's done in the pros to this point has been unimpressive. And I just think the rhetoric you heard around both of them, I don't know. I just felt like Love was more of a project than Rodgers was. Rodgers was a guy who was supposed to go in the top five and was still sitting in the green room when the Packers came around at like 24. I just think it was different for Rodgers than Love. I think maybe that. My biggest question for Rodgers when his career started with the Packers was a kid from California who played at Cal, mm. playing playing in Green Bay. That was a question for me, but obviously um, that question was answered. So, uh, but that was my big question when when that happened. I think Love was a very big surprise when he was drafted, as opposed to Rodgers. Rodgers' surprise was that he fell so far. Love was that he was actually drafted where he was drafted. <laughs> he was. He was supposed to go in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, right? I believe so, or maybe even later. Mm, yeah. So I, I don't. I don't know. I. I. I think right now, for the first time in a very long time, you look at the NFC North or whatever, because it wasn't always the NFC North. But you look at the division they're in right now. This is the first time in a long time you're looking at that, and you ain't thinking the Packers. You're thinking the Vikings and the Lions. I, I we we've never been alive to to see that situation ever in our lives. The Vikings, yes. The Lions, no. Well, wait a minute. There were some teams in the '90s. I, I don't think they won the division, but when they had Barry Sanders, Brett Perriman, Scott Mitchell at quarterback, they, they for about a year or two they had a little bit of hope there. Yeah, I just don't remember it, but I do remember like the year the Giants um, smoked the Vikings in the NFC championship, like they were supposed to be world beaters. I mm. And the giants drove them like 41, nothing in the NFC championship game, go on to lose the super bowl to the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you lost to one of the greatest defenses ever, like maybe top three defense of all time. So with, with Kerry Collins, at quarterback <laughs> with Kerry Collins, a quarterback. Yeah. So, I don't th- I not very many teams would have beaten that Ravens team in a Super Bowl. That Ravens team, they at the very least the defense was insane. And you, well, I'm not going to bring up who the quarterback was. 
I'm gonna be uh, nice. Yeah, we don't need to. We've we've ragged on him a bunch. <laughs> um, I will say at least though, he's not Dan and Wardlowski though. He's got that going for him. A funny note about that Giants Minnesota NFC Championship game is the New York media. Um, this was it was different times back then. Like it was before YouTube and like you know things were different and the new york media blew everything up to where they were saying fossil was stealing calls from uh was getting the play calls over his headset from the minnesota vikings i remember that being reported heavily in this area uh, a year or two later i went and played hockey for a team out in minnesota um, and not one minnesota vikings fan had heard that report <laughs> that's Just- crazy just to like let people know what the difference was back then. Like, so I played out there for a year. That year was when 50 cent got big, right? In the club was his first hit single. And I came home for Christmas break. It was the first time I heard it. And like, I, you know, I loved it. I thought it was great. Just like everybody. And I went back out to Minnesota and my best friend out in Minnesota, this dude grief was a big hip hop fan. I was like, yo, what do you think about that 50 cent album? It's like, what 50 cent album? They hadn't even heard it out there yet. So, like, that's how different things were back then. And wow. so, like, I had somebody mail me the CD so I could play it for him. And I I take credit for being the first person to bring 50 Cent to Minnesota. <laughs> you're, a, you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer. All right. Um, well, I mean, the draft is this week. I think we can move off the Aaron Rodgers stuff. The draft does start on Thursday. Um, I don't remember the number of picks that either of our teams have. Uh, five, the Giants in the 20s? I believe it's 25, but I'm not 100% sure. And we can't be too far behind you, I think, Dave. I think we're like 26 or 27? 26. 26. Okay. I, we don't really need to go through everything with the quarterbacks. We can make this you know, a little bit towards our teams. Fife, what do you what do you hope the Giants get out of the draft on uh, this week? Um, you know what? I just want them to build. Um, you know, last year was a very good season for the Giants. I think ex- Giants fans need to keep expectations, at, at, you know, mediocre right now because there were a couple wins there that they stole last year. Uh, you know, we talked about it a lot. The tryhards and all that um but i just want to see them build and you know me i love when they draft guys from penn state i'll always be bitter that they didn't get micah parsons when they could have gotten micah parsons they got a guy that they ended up trading uh for a third round pick when they moved back in that draft to the kansas city chiefs and that guy got a super bowl ring anywho um there's a kid joey porter jr he's a cornerback he is the son of joey porter um I always like these kids who are sons of great players who go into the college level and they play um, solid college ball. And I think there's a chance he could fall. Um, Again, he's a corner, but he's a physical corner. Uh, He's a lockdown corner. I think he could fall because his last year at Penn State wasn't great. And some people, it was good. He shut people down. Um, but some people think that a couple games into the season, he sort of shut it down a little bit, took a little bit out of the tank just so he wouldn't get injured um, going into the NFL draft the next season. Um, so I think there's a chance this kid could fall to 25. We all know the Giants could use secondary help. Um, 
So I would be okay with that. Uh, he could, he's the type of guy, he's a physical corner. Uh, he could come off the edge if you need to you run a corner blitz. Um, he played outside for Penn State, but I don't see him having trouble transitioning to like a nickel corner type of play. Um, and maybe who knows if he gets drafted and he works hard in OTAs and, and you know, mini camp and all that crap. Uh, maybe he can move himself up to an outside corner position. Uh, but I would not be upset if the Giants landed Joey Porter Jr. in the mid-20s. Okay. And and Dave, I've seen I've seen a few different mock drafts. One, some of them have had the Cowboys taking Bijan Bijan uh, Robinson, the running back. Some of them had us taking tight ends. I saw one earlier today uh, having us taking a cornerback. Not going to pretend to know the names. Have you? What would you like? They're going to go for best overall player. We've seen this play out before. Well, who, anyone you'd like to see them take with their pick? Um, considering where they're at in the draft, it's hard to imagine that some of the frequented names that you've heard uh, happen for them, like the running back out of Texas, Bijan Robinson. Um, so to me, I would like to see them go with either an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. Um, I don't want to see a tight end draft in the first round. If you go back over the last like 20 years, no, none of the tight ends drafted in the first round have really amounted to anything. Meanwhile, you look at rounds, you know, two through five, and you've got George Kittles and uh, Travis Kelsey's, Dallas Goddard's, um, Oh, what's big man's name in Buff, uh, Baltimore? Uh, Andrews? Andrews. And, yeah, so, like, I mean, <laughs> there's kind of a proven track record in the first-round tight ends just don't really pan out. Um, so I personally wouldn't mind seeing them avoid that. And I know so, a lot of people are out there mocking that happening. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, w I would definitely prefer, like, an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. Um, uh, a cornerback, or hell, if you want to do it, give Dan Quinn another pass rusher to have fun with. I, I mean, I can't. I have no issue giving Dan Quinn more toys. <laughs> I agree with that sentiment. Absolutely, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and I, I trust in the Cowboys with their draft picks. We've, you know, we've seen the proof over the last ten years. Um, and I think, you know, you brought up offensive linemen. This is kind of the, the spot in the draft where if the Cowboys keep their pick, they'll take the guy you've never heard of before. They'll they'll do what's considered a big risk. And you don't necessarily lose sleep at night because we've seen it play out before with Fredericks 10 years ago. The guy they took last year, um, the Smith wound up working out pretty good for him. So if they reach for someone in the first round, I'm not as nervous as I would have been, you know, if this was another team doing it. All, all the faith in the world in Will McClay. Yes. Yes. To, to sort of piggyback from a Giants perspective as well, like where they're at, you know, obviously the Giants need help on the interior offensive line, right? Like that's yeah. not a secret, but where they're at, I mean, I feel like all those guys are going to be gone. 
that can step in day one and be an interior offensive line starter in the NFL. Um, that's where that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't be upset with bolstering up that defense a little bit, a little Joey Porter Jr. or something like that, you know. Mm. Yeah. I get you there. Do you guys have any thoughts? Obviously, the big big talk coming into the draft is the quarterbacks and everything. It looks like Bryce Young likely to go first overall to the Panthers. Um, Houston is where the intrigue starts. C.J. Stroud has kind of been considered the number two. Talk about Will Levis moving up there. Anthony uh, Richardson, not not sure if the Texans would take him, but obviously, you know, talk about him has been kind of going on there. Um, anything you guys are looking for in the draft? Dave, I'll go back to you. I mean, look, I think your your most ready guy to start day one is Bryce Young. I think the guy with the highest ceiling is Anthony Richardson. And I think for, you know, kind of keeping this in the circle of, you know, staying focused on the teams that we root for, I think the one big thing that's going to help both, you know, both teams and those teams that are farther back in the draft is very simply the fact that you're going to have a lot of quarterbacks early on. And anytime that happens, that means those skill position players, uh, those interior offensive linemen that aren't, you know, the, the pretty names, but they're just the big mean guys. Um, those guys start to fall. Dallas had that happen once they were able to draft C.D. Lamb. Nobody expected him to make it out of the top 10. Dallas managed to get him at 17. Um, you know, so like, that's the one that I am all for having the quarterback I, I have and trusting in him and having a whole bunch of teams that want to draft quarterbacks and having there be multiple quarterbacks that people want to draft. So that would probably be my uh, final thought for the NFL draft. <laughs> Five. I'm watching, oh, sorry. I mean, no, I will be watching the Devils Rangers game. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I had five. I was going to say, a lot of the rumblings I'm hearing is there's a solid chance that a guy like C.J. Stroud falls to the Colts. Um, from what I've heard, Houston might pass on a quarterback with that number two pick. Yeah. And they might go with um, the, what some consider the best player available. And our old buddy Eric used to talk him up a lot as Will Anderson. Mm. That's, and Dave, you, you had watched him play and – you were big on him too. You know, the guy was all over the field. Um, so there's a lot of talk that the Houston Texans are going to just take Will Anderson and figure the rest out later. Yeah, because that, that's worked out well for them so far. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean I, it is the Houston Texans. Yeah, to <laughs> me, like, I get that Will Anderson might be a great player and everything. I'm not taking anything away from him. Well, you got as many needs as the Texans do. Like, who are you trotting out at quarterback next year? You got like three of them lined up perfectly for you. So what Bryce Young's not going to be there? Go get one of them there. And, you know, that'll be the 20th quarterback you've had since you came back in the league. And let's see if you can make this one work. You know, and when we're talking about the Houston Texans, we got to go way back, right? Mm -hmm. They went out and they got you know, they went out and they got David Carr, right? <laughs> and they ruined that. I honestly, dude, I'm telling you, when he was backing up Eli or whatever, like, 
I didn't think he should start over Eli, obviously. But when he came into the game, if Eli got hurt or whatever might have happened, like, I was not worried about it. And it happened once or twice. Uh, Eli, I think, had an ankle problem, and he had to come out of a game or two. Um, and I was not worried about it. I think the Houston Texans absolutely ruined that man's career. He was shell-shocked. I think he still holds the record for being whacked up the most ever by a quarterback. Mm. Um, and maybe they still think about that in that organization. They're like, look, we don't have the pieces to protect them. So what's the point of taking a quarterback? Let's build our defense and let's try and win games 13 to 10. Three yards and a cloud of dust. Could it's be what po- they look. It's possible I, I, I'm not going to pretend to have an intimate knowledge of the Texans roster. They still have Larmy Tunsil, though, right? Yeah, they just gave him a new deal this season. I thought I saw that. Yeah. I just, you know, I and they gave up a lot for Tunsil. Let's not forget that one. But you, you still got one of the best left tackles in the sport there. Maybe a try to add another couple linemen. I and what you said about them destroying David Carr's career, I a hundred percent agree with you on that statement. There, I, I don't know. I just feel like you got to take another whack at it, especially because, like, I, I don't know. Davis Mills didn't get too much brain damage last year, right? Nowhere near what David Carr got, yeah. Like, I honestly, like, look at Derek Carr. He's still playing, right? And I honestly think that David was the better quarterback of the two brothers. I just think he got put in a shitty situation. And he was, never, I, able to, he was never able to come out mentally. Mm-hmm. And I totally and agree with you on that point. Killed. And he kept getting up. Mm-hmm. Still remember what the com- – I don't remember what the commercial was for, but the commercial with just him going into the line of scrimmage – facing the entire 11-man defense of whatever team it was. Maybe it was the Ravens, for all I remember. You guys know what I'm talking about? uh, Vaguely. Mm. Yeah, I can't say it for me, Mike. I'm sorry. Okay. All right, well, I think with with that, we can move on here. Fife, you know where Schmelrose is right now? Uh, Larry! (laughs) How you guys doing? Hey, Larry Schmelrose is here tonight. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing good. You guys done yeah, talking right. about that uh, football crap? Yeah, we're, we're done talking about um, the, the football for now. So let's talk a, a little hockey here. Um, so we got the playoffs in full swing here, and Devils and Rangers tied up at two games. Rangers take the first two, goes back to um, MetLife, or I can't read the Rock, excuse me, Prudential Center. Um, Devils win the next two. What do you think about the series so far, buddy? Well, you know, um, a lot of the sentiment from the Devils locker room was, uh, you know, not – like they didn't want to hang their hat on inexperience. They mm. said that they played bad hockey, which they did. I mean, they weren't pressuring the Rangers at all. They were just throwing pucks and pads. Um, you you know, during the regular season, you can catch guys taking a shift off, uh, in the playoffs, you can't. And I think that that that's what they had to learn is that you just, 
there are no shifts off and everybody has to be on point. You can make mistakes. It's a fast game. People are going to make mistakes, but you need to get back into position and rebound from those mistakes. Like, let's not forget. They're still being outscored. What? Like 12 to five or six. Um, so like well, that. They, have, they had three last game. They had two the game before that. And they <laughs> had one in each of the previous games, one of which was a penalty shot. Um, so, yeah, it's what? Uh, three, two, five, six, seven. Looks so like um, 12 to seven. 12 right to seven. Now. So, look, I, you know, they need to go home and they need to play like they play on the road. They've been a good road team all year. The best thing I heard come out of that locker room after they were down 0-2 was uh, they pointed out that, hey, we started the season 0-2, and they had a very bad loss in there where they let up like six or seven goals. And uh, we started out season 0-2, and then we went on a 13-game tear. We're not out of this. And they just kept that sentiment. They stayed positive. I mean, I think that's a key. Like, it's really easy for a young team to get beat 10 to 2 in two games and, you know, pack it in, say, this isn't our year, and, and get inside their heads. They're not. Uh, these guys stayed positive. They were upbeat at practice. They understand it's a seven game series. I think the leaders like Hala and Lot and the guys who have been there before are um, were big in the locker room to keep the young guys heads in it. But like Jack Hughes is probably one of the most confident players I've ever seen. He's very softly spoken in his interviews, um, but he, he had a bad first two games. In my opinion, he was giving away pucks very uh, on the weak side of things. He just, uh, we just maybe trying a little bit too much uh, to try and get going in the playoffs. And then, the devils went out and what they really did was they simplified their game. Um, they caught a couple bounces in game four, uh, you know, that second, dollar assist to Jack Hughes on the breakaway where he just flopped it up over the Rangers defenseman. He'll be the first one to tell you that he was, he did not see Jack Hughes. He was just trying to get it out of his own. That play was on Jack. Jack saw where the rebound went to and he, he took off and there were two Rangers defensemen were kind of stepping in, um, for offensive purposes and Jack just split him and took off. And, and when he's out on a break, you're not catching him. And then he made a beautiful move on one of the best goaltenders in the world um, and made it look easy uh, to beat him. Uh, but they just keep chugging along and, and they're not getting rattled, which is very impressive to me from a young team. These guys are confident. And, you know, when the Rangers tied it up at one, one in the third, they put a little bit of pressure on them. These guys just stuck to their game. They kept it simple. They found a, an opening between the tops of the circle and the blue line with a defenseman breaking in. It was a, To me, it was similar but different than the overtime goal for Dougie Hamilton where Brat sort of cut across the top of the circles, found Hamilton leaking in, uh, activating is what we call it, and uh, then Hamilton rifled one home. It was a beautiful goal by Sigenthaler. Uh, you know, but it was a great play by Heischer to put the brakes on at the top of the circle. And that pass is just tape to tape across the zone. Um, nobody was able to get a stick on it from the Rangers. And Sigendaller did the rest. He put one home. And a goal and an assist for him in that game was big. Uh, he's more of a stay-at-home kind of guy. Uh, but he saw his opportunity and he took it. And that's what the playoffs are all about. You know, the Rangers are relying heavily right now on, you know, Kreider and Panarin. Uh, Panarin's been not playing. He's been missing the net a lot, uh, but 
uh, Zabanajad and Kane to generate their offense, mostly with the man advantage. Um, the Rangers went four for seven in the first two games on the man advantage. In my opinion, uh, you have a team in the Devils who were very good at the penalty kill all season long. So I actually was not surprised to see the Rangers go over over the next two games. Was I nervous every time the Devils went on the kill? Absolutely. I was shit in my pants. But <laughs> it, it's not surprising because you got to look at it from a number standpoint, percentage standpoint. These things tend to level out. There's a reason why 80% kill and 20% power play are general numbers that you look at for success on either side. And if you're over the 80%, you're, you're a good penalty killing team. If you're over the 20%, you're a good power play team. So you have to understand that those, those numbers are going to, in my opinion, level out at some point. But if I had to put money, like if there was a, a money, a bet that I would make um, for the next game, game five, it's that the Rangers will score on the power. Um, if I could put money on that or find somewhere to bet that I would bet. Mm. Uh, that's how much I feel that these numbers eventually they, it just happens. You know, you're not going to kill every single penalty. You're also not going to score on every single power play. That's why the numbers are what they are. So it wasn't a surprise to me that the devil and the devils did better on the penalty kill. They, they located the guys they need to locate, but the biggest thing was they were putting pressure on the Rangers on their zone entry. Um, and in the two games prior, they were sort of just letting them get into the zone. I think game four, the big difference for the Devils was that it, unlike the previous three games, the Devils won the faceoff battle and possession is everything. And I think that's one thing that they figured out um, in games three and four is that you need to take every possession. Um, you need to cherish that possession, you know, possession of the puck is everything. When you have it, they can't score. So even if you're not scoring, they're definitely not scoring because you have and a lot of what we saw in the first two games was, you know, Rangers, the Rangers did a great job of getting in the lanes, blocking shots, and the Devils were sort of just trying to fling them at the net and get things to the net and then giving up possession. Um, they were weak at their own blue. They changed that. So it's going to be an interesting series. I had texted my brother before the game one. I said, I have this weird gut feeling that the Devils are going to get blown out tonight but I think they win it in six. And I think they can still do that. All right. I think, I think they take the, I think that it is not, and this is maybe the fan of me talking, my, maybe my heart's coming out over my mind, but I think this team finds a way to win a game at home. So whether that's game five or game seven, I personally think they're going to win the next one at home. I think they're in their heads. Um, you know, Herb Brooks said it, that all-star teams don't work. All these additions at the trade deadline and the things that the Rangers did are, are all well and good on paper. But then you start relying on these guys for all your offense. And we all know in the playoffs, role players mean a lot. Those guys got to step up and get you points. You know, you got Hala um, playing out, out of this world. Timo Meyer maybe not playing his best hockey right now, but that guy is laying everything on the line. There's not a, a period or at least, you know, a couple times a period where I see that guy get knocked around, elbow, you know, shoulder to the jaw, blocking a shot. I mean, you pick them up to get your goals. 
but he's giving you so much more with what he's putting out there right now, just with effort and, and what he's willing to do and, and lay his body on the line for the betterment of the team. And that resonates in the locker room. Um, other guys see that and they say, well, if, you know, if he's putting that much effort into it, he's really laying himself out there. I need to do the same. Um, so that it, it translates. It, it, it's a trickle down effect kind of um, where other guys are going to do that. And then you see Jack Hughes, like Gerard Gallant went out before the series. He said, yeah, I don't see a guy like Jack Hughes finishing checks on our, on our forwards or our defensemen. And if you see when Jack Hughes has an opportunity to lay the body, he's laying the body. Um, and which is impressive because he's not the biggest guy out there, but he knows how to get him. He's a good skater, knows how to get himself in the proper position to take a guy off the puck, and he's doing it. Um, <clears throat> so it just it when guys like that are doing those things, it resonates through the entire team. And then the move to Akira Schmid was um, brilliant, in my that, opinion. But Schmelrose, that that was the big question I had for you on this was that move like what your thoughts were when they when they announced it for the game three start um and how you're feeling about him moving forward through the rest of the series and potentially to the next round so i actually um he's a big guy right so if you watch a lot of goalies he's six foot five right so you watch a lot of goalies when the pucks out, out at the point and they have to look through a screen you'll see a lot of goalies will get low and they have to look through legs this guy just stands up and he looks over everybody and he locates the puck when it's coming in because he can see over everybody. Um, and his movement, because he's so big, he's, he pushes off where some goalies might have to push off twice to get across the crease. He just one push. He looks like he's not even trying and he's just, his, he's positionally sound. Now, there are ways to squeak things through him. We saw that on that Jack Hughes goal, right? where Sigenthaler flopped that over the defenseman. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So that could have went either way. If you had a Ranger in the proper position and on the top of the crease, that thing snuck through his legs. Um, and if a Ranger's standing there, that's in the back of the devil's net. We're not even talking about the Jack Hughes beautiful breakaway goal. Um, the same thing sort of happened with that Kane shot where he thought he had it in his glove. Um but it, he, he dropped it and it rang off the pose, hit the top of his pad. It's a really weird play, but to the devil's credit, they had a guy there to clear that puck out. Both of those situations and the Rangers didn't have a guy there. Um, so those were a couple opportunities that the Rangers left on the table. I like the kid, you know, uh, everybody was talking about how he's ice cold and he goes in there and, and you know, the, it doesn't affect him. Nothing affects him mentally. Like he just goes out. It's just another hockey game to him. But the great part about that is, is, like, you have a chance to have that, like, mental edge, in my opinion, where, like, the other team starts thinking, like, man, you can't rattle this kid. And then in his post-game interview, uh, when he was asked if he was nervous, he said, I was absolutely nervous, you know. <laughs> he said things got a little easier when I stepped on the ice. But, yeah, I was very nervous in Madison Square Garden, you know, down 2-0. But he doesn't show it. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's not flashy. You know, like if you watch a lot of good goalies, like when they make a glove save, you'll see them sweep their glove up over their head. But then you watch this kid make a glove save and he just like grabs it, puts it down, gives it to the ref, whatever, you know. Um, to me, that can also kind of get into another team's head. Like this guy is stopping our best shots and he doesn't even look like he's trying. Um, or cares. Or cares. <laughs> 
right? And I really like him. Um, and it's not that, like, this is not a knock on Vitek Vanacek. He did, <clears throat> he played very well for the Devils this year. He's a very good goaltender. Um, the team didn't play well in front of him. And a lot of times, like you saw in the last game against Washington, right, where the Devils were um, down four to one, uh, they had Blackwood start. They pull Blackwood, they put Schmidt in. Schmidt makes a couple good saves. He plays a very good game. He doesn't let in a goal for the rest of the game. The Devils come back and win that game. Sometimes a goaltender change uh, sparks the lineup. And, you know, they feel for the guy that they – they feel like they let the guy down and they don't want to let another guy down. And it just kind of gets guys going. And when he's back there calm, cool, and collected and making these saves, it, it also helps – it resonates. You know, again, another trickle-down effect in the playoffs. It helps keep those other guys in front of him calm. Like, um, nobody's panicked out there. And I think that was the key. Uh, guys are – you know, there are still some some things that they need to clean up. Uh, they, they've taken way too many penalties the last two games. And that could end up burning them. Rangers have a potent power play. Like I said, they're going to start scoring on the power play if the Devils keep taking penalties. But <clears throat> the fact that they won these last two games on the road and still have things to clean up, and they understand, they're all still saying it. Like, we still have a lot in our game to clean up. Um, but the Devils were the better team during the regular season than the New York Rangers. Okay, they went 3-0-1 against them. Um, they're, in my opinion, the better hockey club. You just on the Rangers side, you have guys who understand what it takes to win. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. The two guys they added to their roster are Stanley Cup champions, right? Vladimir Tarasenko in the first 82 games of the year is not laying out in the slot blocking shots, but in the playoffs, he's laying out blocking shots um, because he understands that's what it takes to win in the playoffs. So it's the little things that they're starting to do right, and they're not getting rattled um, by the pressure. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited about game five. Um, you know, uh, it's funny because going into this, I said, you know, the Rangers don't want to play five, four games. With the Devils Rangers want to try and keep it to two to one, you know, three to two games. They don't want to get a, a scoring match with the Devils. But on that front so far, I've been wrong. Uh, you know, the Devils are playing very good in these two to one games. And uh, they just need to keep when they go home. Lindy Ruff said at the beginning of the season when he was asked, why is your team so good on the road and and they struggle at home? Because it's been a, sort of the story of the season. And he said, look, he goes, at home, we're trying to be flashy. We're trying to make pretty plays and, and look good and, and, you know, get our fans going. He goes, on the road, you just go out there as a team and you play simple hockey and, and you do what you need to do to win. Uh, you're a little more focused on the little things. And, he, you know, and that's that's happening now. So, they need to go out and play a road game, basically, in game five. If they go out, I believe if they go out and they win, I mean, all right, have you you guys have watched playoff games at Madison Square Garden, right? Go cool. like, On TV. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the Garden, during a playoff game, as quiet as they were in game four? No, I, the, the announcers kept pointing that out, and that was one of the things I thought. I'm like, I don't think MSG's ever been this quiet for a playoff game, no matter what the sport. Right, and so that's what they need to do. They need to not worry about rallying up their fans. Um, you know, one thing I noticed is that the Devils players, when they're on the road, like, so I, I, I play Jack Hughes highlights for my son. He loves to watch hockey goals. Um, 
<clears throat> and one thing I noticed is like whenever he scores a goal on a rival, he looks at the crowd and like rubs it into the crowd. Um, you know, well, there's a lot of blue shirts in the building. So do that. Like fucking look at them and rub it in. Don't worry about punching the glass and getting the red shirts going. Stare down the blue shirts. You know, do whatever whatever motivates you on the road. Let that happen at home in game five. And if you take a 3-2 series lead, you come out and you win three in a row against this team, I think they go into the guard in game six and take it. Because they want to, they enjoy shutting the garden up. They enjoy making it silent there. And I think that they're going to be so motivated to do that if they go into game six up three to two that they're going to want to take the series there. I think they want to take the series in the guard more than they want to take it at home. All right. Oh, go ahead. No, I said, I hope you're right. <laughs> We shall see what happens there. But uh, quickly, anything else in the playoffs um, you saw interest you at all? Uh, just how, you know, a lot of these lower seats. Remember when the, I gave you my picks last week? In the high, I mm-hmm. picked all the higher seat teams. I didn't, I didn't do anything sexy about it. The lower seat teams are putting up a pretty good fight. Uh, last I checked, the Islanders were up three to one, maybe. Um, so they were the only team that. Was getting beat, and then Toronto last night down. I think they were down four to one with about nine to go in the third, um, and they ended up winning five four in overtime uh, to take a three to one series lead. Uh, Toronto, as you know, is my pick out of the East, uh, and also to win the Stanley Cup. I think the Canadian drought is broken this year, um, so that's about it. You know, it's just been a great playoffs. I've been enjoying it. I've been watching as much as I possibly can. Um, I missed some of the West Coast games because I got to get to bed. Um, and then one funny anecdote uh, is that, you know, the Seattle Kraken got their first ever uh, home playoff win. And uh, all the players were joking because, you know, it's only their second year in the league. And uh, apparently before the game, I read something that all the players were joking before the game. You know, guys, so let's go. This is the biggest game in franchise history. <laughs> and, uh, I just thought that was pretty funny. And then they went out and won it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just these lower seed teams. Because I mean, you guys know, I thought Colorado was going to sweep that series. And then uh, we talked about it in the locker room a little bit tonight, that Cal McCarr suspension uh, just goes to show you a little bit about the new NHL. Um, he got suspended for a hit on McCann the last game. And that's a big loss for the Colorado Avalanche to be missing Cal McCarr for the year. But I can tell you 10 years ago, um, that might have been a penalty, but it wouldn't have been suspension. Um, so just a little bit about it, especially maybe in the regular, not even regular, but especially in the playoffs. Um, so, and then the last thing about Devils Rangers series is, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but it feels like the calls a little bit. There's a little bit of a New York lead. Um, you know, I watched Timo Meyer get tripped through the neutral zone on a blatant trip on Zibanejad. For some reason, they just don't call penalties on Zibanejad. And uh, and not to complain about the officiating, but then they, they had a, you know, you figure, all right, it's all right, you miss one, right? You miss a call. 
But generally, when you miss a call as a referee, you want to give one back to the other team. It's an unspoken rule. Actually, somebody got fired for speaking it a couple of years ago. Um, they caught him on a hot mic and talking about, hey, I missed one for these guys, so we got to give one back and, and let one go later on down the road or something like that. And he ended up getting fired because of the hot mic caught him. Um, but it's still a thing. And then so they call a chintzy one on Lazar in the, in the zone, defensive zone. Um, I think it was a good move by Coach Ruff to, to bench Miles Wood. He's just been a, a – detriment to the team taking offensive zone penalties to one in each of the first two games and i believe he's a free agent this year and we'll see you later um you know we need gamers around here and i've never been a big miles wood guy myself i know there's a lot of fans who like him but the only thing he really does well is skates fast north and south in my opinion so um, i thought that was good by lindy ruff to, to to take him out of the lineup and put a veteran in like lazar um other than that I mean, just keep watching. Let's play hockey. It's been fun. Fantastic. Dave, did you have anything you wanted to throw in? Uh, I mean, it's the games I've had a chance to watch have been quite exciting. Um, and I think uh, the the one thing, I mean, obviously the, a lot of that kind of changed yesterday, but the, the amount of series that were at 2-1 going into Monday uh, was just crazy. So, um Thought that was that was a pretty cool thing, and and just shows you how hard it is to to win a Stanley Cup. Um, you are the best team, um, you know. Uh, like basketball, we you know the 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 top you know the best teams rise to the top, and it's pretty consistent. Football, you have your handful of teams, but you know every now and then you never know what's going to happen, uh, especially during the regular season where the playoffs tends to be more predictable. Uh, but still, sometimes you get that crazy. Uh, game that happens but i think hockey's probably got some of the best parody in the league and uh, or in the in this ma four major sports and um yeah it's just been fun to watch and like schmaros so eloquently put it let's let's play hockey make sure you watch if you can and then i'll throw in the fact that uh trey young dropped over 30 tonight and just hit the game winning three against boston to force a game six uh, with 1.9 seconds left from about 34 feet. Um, so uh, just throw that in there for you for a quick playoff, NBA playoff update. I have a question, Dave, uh, and, and Mike too. Like you guys have obviously at least watched, uh, at least Dave I know has, maybe Mike's caught a couple of them, the Devils Rangers series. Like what do you think about it as someone who maybe doesn't watch as much hockey? Dave, I'll let you start. Yeah, so I've always been a huge fan of playoff hockey. So I've watched every time I get a chance. The only, only reason I haven't watched more is I just don't have cable TV. So, like, I can't just, like, pop it on. I have to, like, go find some, like, illegal website, fight with it for a half an hour, and, and finally stream it. So, you know, sometimes you're just not in the mood to deal with that. Um, but... With that said, I, I've always loved playoff hockey. I, I think the games that have been going on, they, I mean, most games have been t good games. Nobody – I mean, I feel like the Rangers-Devils games were like the few, you know, huge blowouts uh, in the first two games. So, you know, that was disappointing to see. But overall, I think that it's been fun. And the Devils-Rangers specifically, um, you know, 
to see that the Devils get blown out the way they did in games one and two really, really put a lot of doubt in my head. Um, but to see the grit and attitude and, you know, just straight up competitive mentality of them over the last two games and their execution. And, you know, last night when the Rangers tied at one, one, two minutes into the third period, all I kept thinking was, ah, here we go. The, the, the garden's going to get bumping. The Rangers are going to gain the momentum and, and this game is either going to end up in overtime or this is going to be, you know, the Rangers are going to pull out a win. And I think it was less than four minutes later, uh, the devil scored to go up two one. Um, and the way they played, especially at the end of last night's game with their ability to just drain the clock, you could tell they were, they were taking their, their shots where they saw an opening, but for the most part, they were just playing smart with the puck. Um, they, they were making it hard for the uh, Rangers to even cross the blue line into the offensive zone. Um, and it, it, it was very impressive to see them play with that type of composure with a one goal lead in, in a game that, you know, if you end up losing, your, your chances of moving on are, are, are just almost gone. Mm -hmm. That, that would yeah. be my sense. There you go. Well, listen, what I'll say is I have not gotten to watch much playoff hockey, but the one thing that I think is cool, you know, Dave, you said earlier about the Knicks that basketball is better when the Knicks are competitive and in the playoffs. I can't remember your exact phrasing. It's the same thing with hockey, Rangers, Devils, Islanders, all that stuff, just to have – New York be represented, or at least this area be represented, because, you know, Devils, I'll, gi I'll give you that five. But um, I just like seeing the local teams, you know, be competitive, be in it. Eric always would talk about baseball being the most regional of all four sports, and he, he's right about that. But sports are regional. You get into the, you know, the, the areas of the country – I feel like, I don't know how quite to word this. You can tell what, what fans are into the teams based on who's good or not, if that makes any sense. Hopefully you guys get what I'm trying to say here. But teams being good, you know, that, that makes a difference on different areas of the country, being able to get into the sports. And I think New York is no different. You know, this decade, the Giants are the only, or excuse me, not this decade, this century, the Giants are the only team in this area that's won a championship. The Yankees won their 2009 championship, so excuse me on that. But, you know, for a team that's won 27 championships, they've only won one this century. Giants got two, and nobody else has anything in here. So it's just nice to see the team start to get back oh, into it. That was 2003, bro. And 2000. Uh, apo apologies. 2000, <laughs> is the, 2000 is the end of the last century. Okay. All right. That's that's how I view that. I view the Yankees one as the same. So, But uh, apologies for leaving out your Devils in 2003. It's all right. It's all right. Mm -hmm. It's a running joke that uh, 2048 will be the next uh, Rangers Stanley Cup. Because uh, it's fifty-four years. Every fifty-four years, they can have one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've I've heard that joke before. I stay away from those jokes because 
what what's the joke about when the next time the Mets are going to win? We're all going to be dead. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. So, I think with that though, did you guys have anything else you wanted to throw in tonight? Uh, no, I'm. I actually have to get up stairs and, and get ready to get to bed. Mm. Yeah, my bed is staring at me right now. Just mm-hmm. asking, join it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, I, I think you guys. I do appreciate you guys moving this one back for me. Um, I appreciate that a lot. So, thank you very much. And uh, Team Red got. I play for Team Red again this season. We got smoked. Ah, well. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so that, but yeah, I think uh, I, I'm in the same boat as you guys, and no problem moving it back, Fife. Um, I think with that though, we will get out of here for tonight. Thank you to everybody for listening on all the podcasting outlets: Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And let's do some final thoughts for tonight. Dave Hastings. As always, gentlemen, it's a pleasure. And until next week. Oh, and go devil. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. All right. Larry Schmelrose. Let's go devils. and Let's play hockey. Good night, boys. Let's play hockey. And I am Mike Aglialoro. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see y'all next week.